name of our Lord Jesus, amen. I'd like to reread the first five verses of the epistle lesson that Pastor Packer read a moment ago from Romans 9. This is the beginning of a very important section in the book of Romans where Paul deals with the relationship between Israel and the church and the nations. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. We always begin teaching the Christian faith by explaining the two great teachings of the Bible. And if you've been through any of our catechism classes, I hope right now those two teachings come to mind. I'm speaking of the teaching of the law, the way the Bible teaches us about our sin and our need for repentance, and also the teaching of the gospel, the way the Bible teaches us God's forgiveness in Jesus. For a hiker, it's important to know directions. At night, he or she can look up and find the North Star and be able to see the difference between North and South. I would say the relationship between Israel and the nations, the Gentiles, is also a great, two, two great teachings of the Bible. These also explain a lot of things for us and help us understand the world that we're living in today. These are kind of the East and West of the Bible. And so Paul gives us a very important teaching about this in this part of the book of Romans. We sing about this teaching in every single worship service after we have celebrated the Lord's Supper. When we sing the same song that Simeon sang in the temple when he first met Jesus as a baby. O Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for I have seen the glory of your redeeming grace, a light to lead the Gentiles, that is the nations, unto your holy hill, the glory of your people, your chosen Israel. Paul begins by sharing his great sorrow over the rejection of the gospel by so many of his kinsmen, the Jewish people, the Israelites. My conscience bears witness. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Eleven years ago, I taught a Bible study about Martin Luther and the Jews. He also had the same feelings of St. Paul and even went on to become very angry with the Jews of Germany and their rejection of the gospel. He wrote a famous booklet that got a lot of coverage later on by the Nazis who tried to use it to stir up hatred against the Jews. 
But we know from his other writings that Martin Luther loved the Jewish people, and to the end of his life, he desired for them to come to faith in Christ and to be united with him in Christ. This is not something that any racist would ever want. He was not a racist, but he did have this same angst in his heart over those who would reject the gospel. The Apostle Paul also had some angry things to say as well about those who reject the gospel. Paul, after giving his impeccable credentials as a Jewish man born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee and a Hebrew of Hebrews, in his letter to the Galatians, says to those who would prevent people from believing in Christ as their Messiah, that they would cut themselves off. Jesus referred to these same people as whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, and blind leaders of the blind. Jesus expresses the same concern of Paul in Matthew 23 when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And it's not just the Apostle Paul or Jesus. As we go back through the entire scriptures, through the prophets, all the way back to Moses, we hear the same things. Warnings not to turn away from the grace of God. Also a warning given equally in sternness to the nations because God's plan of salvation was to bring salvation to the world for Israel and also for all the nations. Paul said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone from any nation, whoever they might be, preaches any other gospel to you than the one you have received, hear these stern words, let him be accursed. Now that's all sad, and that's difficult and painful to hear. Nevertheless, as the Apostle Paul goes on, there is hope in Christ. Paul says, they're Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. This is the heart and core of what Israel is really all about. When you hear the word Israel, you should think gospel. You should think good news. You should think salvation. You should think grace. Just as Simeon sang, the glory of your people, your chosen Israel, it is in Jesus Christ. We read throughout the Bible how they are the people of grace. They did not create themselves. They were not chosen because they were more righteous than anyone else. They are constantly presented to the world as God's chosen people, purely out of his great love. Ezekiel refers to the Israelites as an infant cast out into a field, bloody and dying, whom God found washed and wrapped in swaddling clothes. They have the covenants, and every one of those covenants are covenants of love and of grace and promises of salvation. Israel was always the people of God, the people of the gospel and of the grace of God. 
Perhaps no better way to understand this, and Paul is referring to this as well in this lesson as he goes on and speaks of Jacob. Jacob was not the best person in the world. He was a deceiver and cheated his own brother. Um, Jacob was being pursued by his brother Esau, who had the power to destroy him. And Jacob was scared to death. He sent his wife and children away to protect them, and he was alone. He wasn't sure what was going to happen next. But before his brother Esau could catch up to him and kill him, the Lord caught up with him. And in Genesis chapter 32, we read of an unusual thing that happened to Jacob. All night long, the Bible says, he wrestled with God. And God gave him a new name, Israel. That name means one who wrestles with God. And that was a turning point in the life of Jacob. No more of his cheating, no more of his selfish ways. He wrestled in the arms of God's grace. Jacob, surely in that moment, was repenting, was brought to humility and a new kind of trust in God. It was Jacob arising from that moment to go on to be the leader of these people and the one who would eventually bring forth the Messiah for us. The Israelites have ever since then been the same kind of people, struggling within the arms of God's grace. But Paul goes on because there's even more. To them belong the patriarchs. From them, their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Some of us will be going on November on a trip to Israel. Some of you have already been to Israel. And if you haven't been to Israel, at least you've seen the pictures or the videos. And the one thing you know is that Israel is not like Mount Olympus or the mythical city of Atlantis or Camelot or something like that. It is a very real place. Bethlehem is real. Jerusalem is real. The Jordan is real. And the fathers are according to the flesh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, real men, not mythical people, Abraham, David, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Israel is always an affirmation of God who is a God of love and a God who engages in this real world, in real time, in real places, with real people, even to this very time and even to us, his people, as well. In a world that is roiling in evil and wickedness, we sometimes wonder, where is God? In my first, at my first trip to Israel, I stood before the famous Wailing Wall. This is the foundation of what's left of the last of the temples that were the temples of Israel. This is where Jesus preached. This is the place of great struggle. Abraham was tested at this very spot when God challenged him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, but provided instead a ram for sacrifice, foreshadowing the great struggle that would take place when Jesus became the sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
Solomon built the first temple here. And when he dedicated that temple, he dedicated it as a place of struggle, a place of repentance, a place of forgiveness. It was destroyed in a great struggle in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. King Herod, the one we read about in the New Testament and especially the Christmas story, built the last temple. And here it was also destroyed, as Jesus had predicted in 70 A.D. by the Romans. 600 years later, the Muslims took control and built upon the ruins of that temple a mosque. It is a place of great struggles. And as I stood in that historical place, I could think of nothing but Jesus, the one who struggled ultimately for all of us, for the Jews and for the nations, to bring us to peace with God. If we ask our question, where is God in a world roiling with evil and wickedness, all we have to do is look to Israel, look to that temple, and finally look to Jesus and know that God has not forgotten. He came into this sinful and suffering world to struggle for us and for our salvation. Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah says that the mercies of David are sure, and that the nations will run to the Holy One of Israel, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that in Him we will be glorified. Our sorrows of this world and of this life will be turned to joy because of the hope of God's salvation in Jesus. Amen. Please rise.